0: Well, um, how many of you have seatbelts on today? Because I've got some wild stuff today. I, we're back in the book of Genesis. Genesis is absolutely the most incredible book. Um, we've been in it, I don't know what, three months now, and we're already to chapter two, verse eight. So I predict that I will die before I finish Genesis, amen? I mean, it's just like, it just keeps going on. But, but we've talked about everything from creation to Satan to... Um, you know, to the, the, the whole concept of creation of man, the creation of the world. Uh, we're gonna talk today about some things that are really interesting. We're gonna be looking at the tree of life and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And those really represent choices in our life. The idea is that God gave Adam and Eve choices. He said you can choose life or you can choose death. And that's a decision that all of us have to make on a daily basis, isn't it? We have to be looking at our life and saying, is this promoting life in my life, or is this promoting something that's not life, that is death? Well, we have a quest for knowledge. All of us know that. I mean, just type something in on a Google search engine and you get three million plus ideas that you can search. And sometimes I do that, and I try to find every one of them. I go down the rabbit hole, and I think, what? And it just keeps going, 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 and and then I get the end and I go, I don't know if I know any more than I did before, but boy, was that a great way to burn an hour. But what is it in us that has this quest for knowledge? Where did it originate? And why, do we, why are we sometimes obsessed with it? And whether it's like finding out data that's gonna help you in your life or your business or your family, but it's also that idea that we wanna know everything. Have you ever just, you know, somebody's talking, you wanna, what are you talking about? Right, you wanna know. What, what is that? That's a part of our nature. And it's not always a good side of our nature, amen? Well, after graduating from Oxford University, Sir Tim Berners-Lee became a software engineer at CERN, a particle physics lab near Geneva, Switzerland. In 1989, Tim invented a way for computers to share information called WWW, or the World Wide Web. We all know that's pretty interesting, right? What makes it a little bit interesting is when you just jump into this world of CERN, you find out more things that you really didn't know were there. For example, if you take www in the numerical value in the Hebrew language, so in the Hebrew language, every letter has a numerical value. So va is is a Hebrew letter for w, and it happens to mean six. So when you put that together, let me just show you the the little diagram here of the language. When you put WWW together, you have 666. Pretty interesting, but not conclusive fact that it's really evil, right? But it definitely is on our quest for knowledge, isn't it? And for information. So CERN is the home of the largest hadron particle um, collider. It's 17-mile circular tunnel. It's 574 feet below the surface of the Earth, and it's designed to recreate the Big Bang. In other words, they're convinced the world was created by a Big Bang and not by God, and they said, what would happen if we could um, recreate the origin of the universe? Let me show you an aerial view of what CERN looks like uh, in this collider. And so you see it's a pretty big area, 17-mile radius. Now, to be comforted by that, the Chinese are building one that's 75 miles in circumference and uh, is going to be seven times more powerful than the one that's in, near Geneva, uh, Switzerland. Now, a Cambridge astrophysicist by the name of Martin Rees says that, uh, that this is a dangerous thing to do because it, could cr- it actually could destroy the Earth in at least two ways. One, it could create a black hole. Now, if you know a black hole, there's more gravity inside that hole than there is outside, so it sucks everything into it. It's kind of like me late night getting chips. (laughs) Just suck everything right into me, amen? Okay, the second thing, it could destroy the fabric of space. So space isn't just kind of hanging there and nothing happening up there. It's all part of the way that God designed the earth. Well, that's pretty interesting, but I don't know if that's, Got you yet, but maybe we look at the logo for CERN and see if it looks like anything you've, you could kind of put together. It kind of has a bit of a 666 to it, doesn't it? Now, maybe I'm just reading into it. You say, oh, you're just one of those conspiracy theory guys. Yes, indeed, I believe every one of them. <laughs> okay, well, that's not enough to convince you. CERN is located on the former temple of Apollo. Now, why would they build it on the former temple Temple of Apollo, Apollyon, in the Scripture is found in uh, Revelation chapter nine verse eleven. It means the word; it actually means destroyer. So, if I read Revelation nine eleven, it says, "King over them, the angel of the bottomless pit, whose name in Hebrew is called Abaddon, but in Greek is has the name Apollyon." Hmm, that's pretty interesting. Well, all of this is interesting, but what does it have to do with the Book of Genesis? Well, Genesis 2:17 says, "Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it, for the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die." And yet we see Adam and Eve in the garden. They eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil after being tempted by the enemy. And remember, Satan said to them, "You know the reason that God doesn't want you to eat from that is because when you do, you will be a God." And he doesn't want any competition. Because then you're going to know good and evil. Remember that when they were in the garden, before they ate from the tree, they didn't know they were naked. Didn't seem to be an issue. Now, naked people in public are an issue. <laughs> Amen? So, what changed? There's also shame that came in there because remember, they covered themselves with leaves. And then there was the running from God. Remember, they hid. And God said, you know, where art thou? It wasn't that God didn't know, he wanted them to come to recognition that they needed accountability before God. And then what happens? Blame. Well, you know, it all started when you gave me her. (laughs) The woman that you gave me, she was the one that introduced me to the forbidden fruit. So now blame starts, shame is a part of it, Thinking you're God, that is, you think you can run your own world versus letting God run your world. All of these things came out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So, life or good and evil? That's really what's happening the tree of life or good and evil. Let's look at the whole text Genesis 2, beginning in verse 8. The Lord God planted a garden eastward in Eden, and there he put a man whom he had formed. And out of the ground, the Lord God made the tree to grow that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. The tree of life was also in the midst of the garden and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now what's interesting is, why wouldn't God just put the tree of life there? Why get the bad stuff, right? Because remember, love is not love unless there's a choice. You can't force course love on someone, it has to be freely chosen. So God put man and woman in that garden to say, would you choose me, would you choose life, or would you choose something else? Would you choose death? Now, death ultimately means separation, is really what it means. So that's what Adam and Eve literally experienced, not physical death. They, they would experience that eventually, but what they experienced was this separation from God, this feeling like God's a million miles away. You know, sometimes as believers, we get away from the Lord, and uh, we feel, I feel like God's a million miles away. God doesn't hear my prayers. Well, God does hear your prayers, and he's not a million miles away. You are. Right, God's there, he's not left you, and we're gonna see that as we go through the scripture, but what God wants us to do is draw into relationship and fellowship with him. So the idea is to eat the tree of good and evil would bring the experiences of good and evil into your life. That's what the result is. You say, why is there suffering in the world? Well, it all goes back to Genesis. You see, the Bible says in Romans 5, sin entered the world through one man, Adam. So we became sinners by our very nature, by our very choice, and even by our birth. That's how we got into this. It's interesting. We we have grandchildren. We have uh, seven of them, and all of them are wonderful people. But it's amazing. We never had to teach any of them to be selfish. (laughs) They were just good at it right? They just were experts in it. So you take something away, and you say, like, I'll tease, and I'll say, hey, well, this is mine. Mine. That's mine. Now, where did they get that? I'm sure that all the great children that we have didn't teach them that. I know we didn't teach our children that, but they learned it somehow. Where did that come from? It came from this idea of personal, being a personal ruler of your own life, of being God of your life. It came through the sinful nature. So is this good or is this evil? Have you noticed we evaluate everything on the basis, is it good or is it evil? For example, we'll say, well, that's really bad, and we'll talk about something, and then we'll say, oh, that's really good. And so you see how our criteria is good and evil, and it's the wrong criteria. The criteria is not meant to be good or evil, the criteria is meant to be life. So as long as we operate out of the tree of life, we have good Christians, really good Christians, and not so good Christians. We have bad people, really bad people, and evil people. That all comes from a philosophy, it comes from a mindset of this world. We're operating out of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil versus the tree of life. So are you operating out of life? Do I look at this and say this is life-giving or is this life-sucking? You ever been around people that are just life-suckers? Like, uh, I need a transfusion here. I gotta get, I gotta get recharged here. Why? Because they suck the life out of you. But you wanna be a life giver. You wanna pour life into people. In Hebrews chapter five, it deals with this matter of good and evil, and it says it in a context that's really amazing. It says in chapter five, for by this time you ought to be teachers. So he's writing to this church. He says, you've been Christians long enough. You ought to be teaching other people the truth of the word of God. Okay. But you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God. And you have come to need milk and not solid food. Now, can you imagine in your natural physical life that you give up steak, pasta, salad, and you go back to a bottle of milk? How horrible is that? I mean, baby food. Who came up with this idea? This is awful stuff. You say, for babies, it's great, yes, but not for adults. So spiritually, are you drinking milk or are you eating solid food? You've been a Christian long enough, you should be on solid food, but maybe you're still leaning back into milk. Now look what it says, for everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness. You see, learning the word is a skill, It takes time like anything else. So it's skilled in righteousness, for he is a babe, but solid food belongs to those who are full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. There it is. So when I'm in the word of God, what am I doing? I'm looking at this, I'm going to, wait a minute, that's good or that's evil, but I need to lean into life. Otherwise, we have all these different levels of goodness in society, in our churches, or in our family. And, and, you know, we have like, well, you know, if if you're good, I'll give you some candy. You ever notice that? That's how we bribe them. You know, I know that you're a rebellious little sinner. (laughs) And the only way I'm going to get you is I'm going to give you my version of the apple. Ouch. That's what it is. If you're good, I'm going to let you spend three hours on my iPad watching mindless cartoons so that you don't really ever grow as a human being. I'm just saying. We've got babysitters who are indoctrinating our children in the wrong thing, they're not learning. Years ago, there was a book written Amusing Ourself to Death by Neil Postman. The idea is we spend our life amusing ourselves. The word amuse comes from a Greek word. A is, negates it, muse is mind, so amusement is no mind. I can do things in my life that never use my mind. Amusing ourselves to death. Well, life and abundance is what God promised. It's interesting, when I came to this passage, I thought, now, what am I going to do with this section in Genesis? It talks about rivers and minerals, and I'm supposed to preach on this, God. You know, sometimes you get into the scripture and you go like, I like reading this, but I don't know how to preach on this. But let me show you what, it's, what God showed me. Now, it says here, a river went out from Eden to water the garden. The first thing might come to your mind is in Revelation chapter 22, it says in that new Jerusalem, there is a river that flows from the throne of God and on ever, both sides of the river are the trees of life and they're for the healing of the nations. Maybe this was like that river that we're going to see into the future. But it was planted, and notice it says the river went out. So it started, started in Eden, it went out of the, from the garden and it parted and became four river heads and the name of the first was Pishon, and, it, and uh, is one of which skirts the whole land of Havilah where there is gold. And I thought, why do they need gold? Why would God even mention gold in the Garden of Eden? It seems to me like everything was cool until they sinned. So God knew they were going to sin, so God said, I'm gonna, make, I'm gonna provide for you before you have the problem. And this is a principle in Scripture. Before you have a problem, God has a provision. And it goes on to say, and the gold of that land is good. In other words, this gold is better than other gold. And there's more land than just the Garden of Eden. And then it says, Delium and Onyx stone are there, and the name of the second river is Gihon, and it is one that goes out and around the whole land of Cush. The name of the third river is Hiddekel, It is one that goes out east of Assyria and the fourth is Euphrates. We recognize that name, of course. So what is God saying here? He's saying there is a promise woven into this really almost mundane kind of scripture that you you probably would read over very quickly, a promise of abundance and prosperity. The river that goes out of Eden became four riverheads. Let's look at what those names mean. You see, in the Bible, names are not arbitrary. They, They didn't like... You know, Abraham didn't sit down and go, you know, Sarah, you got a baby book. Let's look for names. What's the cool name today, right? I mean, you get whole generations that are, you know, Steve, or David, or Joshua, or, you know, name it, just whatever it is, and it's like everybody goes, that's a cool name, I'm gonna have a name, I'm gonna name that before my girlfriend who's pregnant names that, her baby that. But in the Bible, it's not that way. In the Bible, everything has to do with character and revelation of God. When they named somebody, it was for a reason, all right? So let's look at some of these names. So Pishon is increase. Gishon is bursting forth. Hittichel is rapid, and Euphrates is fruitfulness. Interesting, right? All these names are significant. Well, how about the land? Well, Havilah means a circle. Asher is step, And Cush is black. The riches found there are gold, it means to shine. Delium is pearl, and onyx is black. So what, as I was praying through that, I just said, God, I need some insight in, what is this? And God gave me this prophetic word from that passage. I, that is God, will increase you and circle you with gold and pearls, and you will shine with glory and burst forth rapidly and step into fruitfulness. And his Lord is taken from the names of the rivers, the land, and the minerals. You see, God had a message to them. And this is common in the Old Testament, that God would put words and names together in such a way that to bring about a blessing. Now, let me give it to you one more time just so you can really absorb it. God will increase you and encircle you with gold and pearls. You will shine with glory and burst forth rapidly and step into fruitfulness. You see, whenever you hear a word like that, you can embrace that and say, God, I I receive that. I want that to be a part of my life. If God would provide that for the first couple who he knew were going to sin, what would God do for you? The same. That's the good news. So here's two big truths that you can cut out of that prophetic word. Number one, your environment, the environment you live in, that is where you work, where you live, where you shop, where you travel, everything, it it, it contains all that you need to succeed. You realize that your environment is a treasure chest. But you have to step back long enough, step away from the problem and see what God is providing. See how important that is? God, what's here that I'm not seeing? If you don't ask those questions and if you don't take the time to do that, you can't get the revelation of God of how you can prosper in your current situation. Second one is you have, to, you, you have more than you need. You just need to access it. Imagine if you were told that you had a checking account in your name that was left by a wealthy relative for you and you said, yeah, I know about that, but I'm too busy trying to, to make, uh, make ends meet. Well, isn't that what we do in the spiritual realm? We have a rich relative, God the Father, who has a checking account for us, who owns a cattle on a thousand hills, who says, why don't you access what I have for you instead of always worrying about what you don't have? In fact, your worry is a sin. Because worry is the opposite of faith. When I lean into faith, I trust God, right? When I lean into worry, I trust me or I trust the enemy. That's why the Bible says, have no anxiety about anything, but by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Let's go a little further. Let's look at the place of God's choosing. Genesis chapter 2, verse 15 through 17. Then the Lord God put man in the Garden of Eden to tend it to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat of it. For the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now what's interesting is when, we're going to see this in chapter 3, when, when uh, Eve is conf- confronted by the enemy, she adds to the story. God says we can't eat it or touch it. Well, God never said you couldn't touch it, couldn't eat it. Do you see that Eve had sinned before she took the fruit? Because she sinned in her heart first and then the action followed. This is how it works. So look, let's go on what it says. So what was really happening here? He says, I want you to tend it and I want you to keep it. The word tend is, actually has a root word that means to worship. You're in the garden and you worship. You ever heard about singing to plants? I don't know if that's legit or not. But, you know, when you get outside and you get in the environment, sometimes you just sense the presence of God. And they're saying to them, I want you to tend it. I want you to care for it, and I want you to worship in this situation. I want you to know I did a good thing for baby ducklings yesterday. Just so you know how big my heart is. I'm driving down the road and I see a mama duck with about 10 little ducklings. Half of them were in the gutter. They couldn't jump up to get to mama. I know. I have a video to prove all this, by the way. So I stopped, and I thought, how am I gonna get those ducklings up there? Because they're like, they're fast. They're faster than I am. I know it's shocking. So I stopped, and the mama duck came out. She had five of them, and then five were in the gutter. And, you know, hopefully it was not prophetic for the way they're gonna live out their life. But anyway... Um, <laughs> But I, I thought, I've got a crush. So she comes out and she's quacking at me. She's giving me a hard time, like, stay away from my babies. And I'm going like, look, I'm trying to help, Mom. This is like reasoning with my own mom, you know. Like, this is all good, Mom. And so anyway, I decide to herd them. I get behind them. I herd them. Everybody's reunited. Cars are coming down. They're stopping in the middle of the road. They're looking at me. They're probably thinking. Then they see the little ducks. Like, How do I feel bad for this guy? <laughs> What's the point of that story? I don't know. I have no clue why I even told it to you. But anyway, (laughs) to tend it and to keep it. Now the word keep is a really interesting word because keep means to keep out. I want you to enjoy your environment but you need to keep something or someone out of this environment. This wasn't just agricultural 101. This is spiritual warfare 501 because you're getting ready to get invaded by the enemy. And the enemy's gonna come in like a storm and gonna destroy your home, gonna destroy your house, gonna destroy your future. You have to understand what scripture is saying. You see, Moses knew the importance of protecting his home. In Egypt, God told him to put blood on the doorpost and the death, because the death angel was coming. And when the death angel saw the blood, it would pass over that house. I want you to know that you you see, evil is trying to get your house. Evil's trying to get into your life. And we, we see it's trying to destroy your family. There is a demonic spirit behind the culture that we're in today. I've never seen anything quite like it. It just seems to flow like a flood. And they call it good. Woe to those who call evil good and good evil, the scripture says. Job knew the importance of protecting his family. He was blameless, upright, feared God, and shunned evil, and yet it says that Job would rise up early and offer sacrifices and prayers for his children in case they had sinned. Job had a hedge of protection about him and about his whole household and all that he had on every side. And his wealth was increased. Even Satan knew this. He said, Job has a hedge around him and I can't touch him. God didn't deny the hedge. The hedge does exist. In Job's situation, and this is for a whole other message, but in Job's situation, God said, I'm gonna let the hedge down for a little while. You can do anything to Job except kill him. So that doesn't seem fair. Well, remember, you haven't read the last chapter yet. Last chapter says, Job says, I knew of thee with the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees thee. I repent in sackcloth and ashes. And it says, when Job prayed for his friends, see, unforgiveness had led him into the hedge going down. When he prayed for his friends, God restored the fortunes of Job fourfold. You see, there's always more to the story, amen? The word keep means to place a hedge. When he said keep it, it means to place a hedge. It's actually a hedge of thorns to protect. In other words, to keep Satan out of the house. Adam and Eve sinned. You remember this? They sinned. What does God do? He kicks them out of Eden, and then he places a cherubim, an angel, with a sword at the entrance to keep them from going back into the garden. You know why? Because he didn't want them to eat from the tree of life when they were in a fallen condition and be permanently locked into eternal damnation. So it says that the angel stood there with a flaming sword, and here's what it says to keep them out of Eden, to protect them. And then remember Cain and Abel. And we see that, that Cain was jealous of Abel, and he actually takes his life. And God comes to him, he's trying to get repentance out of him, trying to get forgiveness. And he says, Where's your brother? And he said, Am I my brother? Say it with me, Keeper. You're supposed to protect your brother. You weren't protecting your brother. You're not playing that part. In John chapter 17, it says this, I have given them, he's talking to the Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world, watch this, but you should keep them from the evil one. See how powerful this word keep is? They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And now look at Jude chapter one. But you, beloved, building yourself up on the most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, if you're gonna keep loving God, you've gotta build a hedge of protection about you to keep things out of your life that are gonna vi- be vying for your love vying for your attention, and he says, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. God says, I want you to keep some things out. See, if everyone in this room today would say, you know what, I'm gonna make an effort, I'm gonna make a decision, I'm gonna place a hedge of protection about my house, about my job, about my family, about my life, and I'm gonna maintain that love of God. I'm gonna keep things out of my life that are drawing away the love of God for me. What do you think would happen? I think there'd be a change in your life. You see, sometimes what we do is we let the guard down. One way you let the guard down is you let kids determine your future. Kids can't determine your future. I promise you this, less than 3% of the best basketball players in the world play in the NBA. Your kid ain't playing. I'm sorry. The chances are you might as well get a lottery ticket. They're not gonna play in the NFL. Percentage-wise, I'm just saying. You might have one that does. We've had a few come out of here that are playing professional sports. But it's so hard. But we'll pour our life into our children in sports and we'll neglect their spiritual life. This is my point. If you're a father who's trying to live out your bad uh, uh, athletic ability in your life of your kids because you failed and you're trying to force them into it, then you're missing the point. We have to raise up people to be um, people of the kingdom of God. Because that's all it's gonna last, amen? I want you to stand with me and I, I wanna pray this hedge of protection over you and I want you to receive this today in the name of Jesus, and if you uh, if you wanna pray this, you can just lift your hand right where you are. Say, God, I just wanna pray. I wanna just acknowledge that I need a hedge of protection, that I wanna keep the enemy out of my life, out of my family, out of my job, out of my community, and I wanna take steps today. Father, you see these hands. These hands are lifted to you saying, I want a hedge of protection to protect my, my resources, my family, my very life. And I, right now, make a decision to expel the works of darkness out of my life. They have no place in my life, they have no place in my family. Systematically, day by day as you give me revelation, I will, I will put down evil and I will embrace good. I will lift up the name of God in my place, I will prosper according to the word of God. I give you glory, I give you honor this day God, I give you praise, and I ask you right now to fill me with your spirit Fill me with your spirit right now, God. Just say that out loud, fill me with your spirit, God. Empower me, God, just say that, empower me, God. Put a hedge of protection about me. May your glory be the glory of my life. In the Jesus' name I pray, amen. I want us to sing together as we sing this last song. I want you to sing as a dedication, saying I'm gonna see God do some great things in my life, amen. I'm gonna keep that hedge up. I'm gonna I'm gonna walk in the newness of life in Jesus' name.